I cannot believe it is a new year. We my are love. getting old. We're, no, we're getting older. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ready for old. I don't want to wear a blazer yet. You mean for preaching? Anywhere. I, I'm going to go. Here's my goal. Till 50 and then I'll sport the blazer or like, I don't know, Tommy Bahama, Hawaiian I, or something. I vote blazer. Uh, it's hot when you're preaching in Orange County. It's just hot. So You'll look handsome in anything you love. Okay. Before we jump in, <laughs> happy new year, everybody. Quick reminder to all the ladies. March 9th, Erin Coates is going to be here with us. Woo-hoo! Bree's joining her to teach as well. Women's Conference, Embracing God's Design. Tickets are very, very, very limited for that. There was like a hundred that sold the first day. So if you want to attend to RSVP missionbible.org event pages right away. I can't wait. And I'm excited. We're excited for date night this year. A lot of the veterans are back. Coates, Castleberries, Susan Heck, and some new guests, Mark Dever, Granger Smith, and his wonderful wife, Amber. It's going to be a great year. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, here we go. I've got a stat for you. Mm-hmm. This was from a peer-reviewed study by Chris Ellison at Baylor University, who studied 30 years of religion and relationship and ended up suggesting that prayer was critical to whether a couple stayed married, and the stats backed it up. Get this. He highlighted that whereas the typical divorce rate hovers around 50%, get this, couples who prayed together daily, only 1% of them ever divorced. Praise God. So this is a great episode to kick off the year and something that we're going to be focusing on big time here at Mission. And we want to ask all of you date nighters around the world to join us. Let's make sure that our homes are praying homes. Let's go. You ready, my sunflower? Yes. Ethan ready? 2020. 24, let's roll. Okay, I feel like we always forget the books. We really do. I know. Let's cram them in. So let's start at the top with books. Yes. Some of the books we recommend on prayer, William Varner Handbook for Praying Scripture, which is just a little handbook giving short Bible prayers for a month or week and even for holidays. Joel Beakey has a small book titled Developing a Healthy Prayer Life, which has a tiny chapter for each day of the month, like how to pray humbly, boldly, thankfully, etc. And then one we highly recommend is Paul Taj's Pray About Everything. Mm-hmm. And Paul Paul is a fellow at ACBC, blessing to many of our pastors here. And this one even has appendices that help small groups, Bible studies, families, how to pray together. Perfect. Well done, my love. Okay, let's start with the big why. As in, why do a podcast on prayer? Why Mm -hmm. is prayer in the Bible? Why was it a foundation stone of the early church? And then we'll hit the what. What is prayer? And then if we've timed the how. Real examples of prayer and what it can look like in our homes. So starting with why we pray, the simple answer is God dependency. Yep. The first big reason, God dependency. After Jesus went back to heaven, his disciples locked themselves in the upper room. They fell to their knees in God dependency, and that was the habitual practice of the early church. In essence, they just raised their hands and said, we don't trust ourselves, our cleverness, our magnetism. You know, We trust you, oh God, to accomplish work through your spirit and your gospel. Amen. And Jesus had told them, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. The outstanding thing about that first group of disciples is that there, there was no outstanding thing. They, they, mm-hmm. they weren't in Ivy League schools. Uh, they weren't going first in the NFL draft. They weren't making blockbuster films. Tom Cruise, still looking good, by the way, at 59, 60, 63. No idea. These were Joe Schmoes, ordinary <laughs> men. They were poor guys. They were forgotten guys. They were cast off guys. Which was what made prayer so essential. Yeah. In the modern church, right, prayer has become, and I think everyone would agree with this, kind of like an afterthought, exactly. something that we tack on to the end of meetings or our food. But in the early church, it was primary. Mm. 
to the point adjustments were made so leaders could spend even more time in prayer. So let's go ahead and scroll real quickly through Acts chapter 1. Acts one twelve reads, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, I'm not going to belabor this. It's only going to feel preachy for three or four minutes. But real quick, look at the three things with us there. The place, the people, and the prayer. First, we see the connection place. Believers are together, and that's key because most churches have abandoned the prayer meeting. So we're never together praying. And that's why it's so important to be meeting in groups, to confess sin, to share praise. And then praying together is so vital. And side note on that, this is a Tony kind of nerd moment. Archaeologists have actually found the room that we believe this happened in. So when we go to Israel you know, later on this next year, uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to be able to visit it. Can't wait. And second in there, notice the common people, which I just referred to. The list that we're given is not elite. It's just the disciples, Mary, some of the lady followers, about 120 people packed into this little room. And these are ordinary people. A couple fishermen, one who just denied Jesus, another who'd forever be known for his doubting, a tax collector, a lower strata man. He actually, he's called the less in his title, mm-hmm. a revolutionary zealot. And then Mary Magdalene, we all know had a real, or we think a dark past, Mary the wife of Clopas, Martha of Salome, and even the brothers of Jesus who just rejected him earlier in his life, they're all at that meeting. The point being, these men were nobodies and entirely God-dependent, and the Lord used them to change the world. Ordinary men powered by an extraordinary spirit with an extraordinary truth. And Paul highlights that saying, Consider your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Amen. One of God's great pleasures is taking ordinary, common sinners, to redeem them, and then empower them to walk in a world-changing God dependency. And I love that none of these people wanted to be known as big shots. From Mm. this point forward, they never took credit, pointed all glory to God for their life and ministry. It's true. To the point they wouldn't even use their names when they wrote their letters, Mm. which leads, lastly, to the constant prayer. You have the place, you got the people, and then the prayer. And if we were to grab a ladder right now and be able to peer into that window, we'd be astonished by their loyalty to prayer. All 120 of them with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer. The picture is that for 10 days between Jesus' ascension and the Feast of Pentecost, they were praying. And if we cross-reference with Luke 24, it seems very likely they gathered in the mornings for prayer and then went over to the temple for praise and for fellowship. So how do we know it became a habit? Because of Luke's word choices there, specifically that he says they prayed, in quote, with one mind or one passion. So they were in agreement on the commission that Jesus had given, and they were determined to remain there in Jerusalem until the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 2 says that continued day by day. And of course, Ephesians 4, 3 exhorts us to do the same. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So as we submit to the word of God in prayer, we preserve what the Spirit has already knit inside of us. And then Luke adds, continually devoting themselves to that. And we see that in Acts chapter 2 also. So there was this ongoing devotion to doctrine and communion and fellowship and prayer that just drove the early church. And the New Testament goes on to explain all that comes out of that. You know, being submissive to God's will, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Falling under Jesus' authority, John 14. 
a life of peace and godliness, 1 Timothy 2, maintaining a forgiving heart, Matthew 6, healing, James 5, marital alignment, 1 Peter 3, trusting the Spirit to intercede in our weaknesses, Romans 8. And just that list is fascinating because what consumes us, think about it, in life emotionally and brings us anxiety, it's all covered there. Hmm. And how we're treated by authority figures, our health, our income, our marital frustrations, our insecurities, you know, to all of these things, God wants us coming to Him in prayer. Have we lost this? Yeah, we have. And I think most of us feel it, right? And part of it's sociological, where cities have just got bigger and freeways are busier and people aren't able to gather in the town square or little steeple church like they used to. But there's also a theophilosophical reality where evangelicalism has become so enamored with the big Sunday show and numeric growth and all the age-related ministries that the basics, just the Bible basics of fellowship and prayer in a small context have become lost And I fear with it, like many others do, the God dependency so essential to being a Christian has become lost Mm -hmm. as well. And that's why we have a powerless church in America with powerless Christians, not because we know less or have less, but because we depend less. Oh, wow. And that leads us to the second big reason for prayer, which is submission to God's will. So first is dependency on God. Then the second is submission to God. Can you read 1 Thessalonians 5 for us, my love? Sure. Verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now that, the first time we read it, can be a bit startling, you know, because Paul likens prayer to breathing or drinking water. Just it's a constant part of our life is what it's meant to be. Obviously talking about that ongoing attitude of private fellowship with God and how it's essential to our spiritual revival. And there are actually three commands in there. Yeah, and we're only going to be able to look at two, but look at each of them. First is rejoice constantly, and then pray constantly, and then the one we won't get to is be thankful constantly. But the first command is rejoice constantly. Literally, be glad constantly. Be in an inner state of delight constantly, regardless of what's going on in your life. And this runs against the grain of our humanity, because our depravity mm-hmm. has trained us to de- to believe joy is the same as happiness, that our contentment is linked to our circumstances. But the Bible says to even have joy in the trials. James says, consider all joy when you encounter various trials, meaning to look at difficult seasons, stop to take stock, and then make concerted choice to trust God, not our emotions, knowing he's working toward our ultimate maturity. And here he's saying to do that, ready? Always. Always. (laughs) Of course, Paul's the prime example. He's in prison. He's out of prison on a rainy day, sunny day. Have a God-centered focus, knowing God's got a plan, and he's a loving father who's raising you to be more like Jesus, even when it doesn't feel like it. Amen. Which leads to the second big command, which is pray constantly. Famous verse 17, pray without ceasing. The Greek literally without interruption and some of the synonyms could be like that incessant cough when you're sick or paying taxes that are always nagging at you. The point is just pray in an ongoing way. It's part of your life as a Christian. And there's that story of Samuel in 1 Samuel 12 where the people realize their folly of not praying and instead looking for a human king, they confess. But Samuel says, even when you stop praying, I never stop Mm. praying for you. And that's a fascinating story. Because Samuel says to stop prayer, end quote, would be to sin. Mm -hmm. He called prayerlessness sin. So not praying doesn't just mean it's a stagnant Christian life or a bit cold or stale, but it's actually sin that requires repentance. Wow. And it's amazing how, think about our in real life, we'll sit in a discipleship group and say something kind of soft like, oh, I'll confess I'm struggling in my prayer life. 
when we need to, according to this, like any other grave sin, be openly confessing, I must confess, sorry, I pounded the table, I must confess my sin of prayerlessness. This thing Jesus died to give me, to allow I enter his courts, the place he wants me, at the throne of grace, and I'm in sin here, folks. I'm not doing it. A.W. Pink writes, prayer is not so much an act as an attitude, an Mm -hmm. attitude of dependency, the confession of creature weakness, of helplessness. It's the opposite of dictating to God because it's the attitude of submission before God, submission to his divine will, content in our Lord and his sovereign pleasure. Yep. Prayerlessness is the most subtle disclosure of our heart's independence from God. Why does God want us in this submissive state? Well, I think broadly speaking, because it protects us from temptation, Mark 14. Without it, we're vulnerable. We're we're operating in our own strength, which as we all know is zilch. And it keeps us also alert to the attacks of the devil, Ephesians 6. John Piper writes, I love this, prayer is the wartime walkie-talkie of the battlefield. Mm, So good. It alerts God for our courage, troop deployment, calls in protection and air cover, firepower to blast away the word, healing for the wounded soldier, supplies when soldiers are famished. And one reason for Christian failure is when it comes to prayer, they've gone AWOL. I love that. Have you ever been there, my love? Yes, many times. <laughs> I was just there. No, you're beautiful, Bree. You're perfect. <laughs> I knew. I was just there a few weeks back in a classroom when someone said something and I felt the same old fleshly feelings from high school stirring up. And mm. instead of immediately turning on my prayer walkie-talkie, I let them fester a few minutes too long. So here I am, a middle-aged woman, mother of a college kid <laughs> with Older. Prayer. Not old, older. <laughs> but I literally had the feelings of an eight-year-old. I know. What I, about my, you? my daddy told me that once. He said, son, we're all just eight-year-olds trying to cover it up. <laughs> Last week, I did an abbreviated morning prayer time. I actually remember the day. I knew it was happening. And then I got up from my knees. Uh, after Bible time, I felt I felt it the rest of the day. Like multiple times, it was one of my meeting days where it goes on. I was hammering on my own strength, the meetings, the thoughts, poor word, word choices, just an all-around attitude issue. And it hit me that evening, Tony, your spirit was checked this morning. You knew that you needed to supplicate and ask me for strength and mm-hmm. submit to me, and you didn't, and it impacted you the rest of the day. So wow. absolutely. Well, let's make a turn here. I can tell we're going to need a second episode to finish all this. Yes. Let's move from the why of prayer to the what of prayer. Because I think for many of us, we want to pray, but we don't always understand what's supposed to happen and how it's supposed to look and sound. That makes sense? Yes. It's always funny on a TV show. You know, the family bows their heads, someone mumbles, <laughs> everyone looks around. Nobody really understands. Yeah. What was that movie? Baby Jesus? Baby. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So let's keep this really simple. No hundred dollar words. Prayer is just the act of forging connection between two points. Point one is our human need. Point two is the resources of God offered to us in Christ. Hmm. And we can start at either point and reach to the other in prayer. Flesh that out a little more, my love. So when we become a Christian, we discover God in Christ offers us grace, mercy, pardon, peace, life, and love, the good news. And we realize how desperate we are for these things. So prayer identifies the desires inside and expresses them to God, which can be silent or spoken, very detailed or sometimes very raw a song, or maybe even a recitation. The only rule is that our prayer is guided by God's will as shown in the Bible. And it develops as we trust Christ more Mm -hmm. and we learn the scriptures more. But regardless, it's always with the faith of a child approaching our Heavenly Father who has promised to hear us and to care for us. And that's why people often teach the acronym ACTS, where prayer typically begins with adoration or worship, where we tell God and remind ourselves of how special He is. And then we move to confession, realizing again our need of the cross. And then to Thanksgiving, where we kneel astounded with such a majestic God who would love and provide both in this life and for eternity, and then culminating in supplication, where we request eternal and 
internal things that we sense would help us glorify him more. So good. And that can be brief, walking into a big meeting at work or elongated prayers about friends and family each night before bed. Private, just us alone on a walk or corporate with our friends and family around the table. But like you said, it's just acknowledging God dependency by opening the Bible to hear down from him and then bowing our heads to speak up towards him. Oh, and I love Jesus' prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And Hebrews tells us to approach boldly unto the throne of mm-hmm. grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And it's such a beautiful picture. Whereas the Old Testament really showcases the holiness of God, Jesus revealed for us the fatherhood of God. So we can picture ourselves as a prince or a princess, Romans chapter 8, adopted by him, allowed to enter the courts of a great father king who rules the universe, extends his scepter always towards us and says, you're my beloved, now share your heart with me. Amen. Now we had planned to hit the how part of prayer, um, like examples from our life and types of prayer everyone can pray, but this episode is getting long. So let's park it here, okay, my love? Perfect. And then we're going to come back next week and just give a bunch of examples and maybe some personal illustrations because this is mission critical for every Christian and the stats, as we talked about, bear it out and we do not want to rush this subject. Sounds good. So date nighters, let's plan on that. Today we hit the why and the what. Next week we'll dive right into the how and we'll talk about some of the prayer disciplines in the Wood Home. When we kneel, when we're alone, what it's like around the table, and then we'll list out a few steps on praying biblically. And the heart posture of prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of prayer that our sinless Savior died so our soul could be counted free, allowing us ultimate and forever access to your throne room. You want us there. You want us there. So help us to be there, amazed by all that you are, forgiven for all that we're not, and hopeful in where we'll forever be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Date Nighters, Happy New Year. We love you, appreciate you, and as always, a big thanks to Ethan, our producer, our family at Mission Bible. Until next time, keep living for His glory and fighting for your family.